0: good to be with you. Uh, Church merch, eh? It's the way forward. Anyway, it is great to be with you. I uh, I am so excited to wrap up this series. Uh, You know, the rule of preaching is the less points you have, the better the sermon, generally. But I have many. I I have four points. And I just figured if you're going to come to church knowing that there's a public holiday tomorrow, you are the remnant and you need to be well fed. So I, I am going to feed you well today. Uh, it, is, it is so great. You, you're going to wake up tomorrow and you're not going to go to work. It's just, it's fantastic. But uh, I want to wrap up this series on life and color. And uh, I'm going to quickly take you back and then and then bring you into what I'm going to preach about today. So we, we started, and and in this series, we've named the things that matter to us as a church. We want to plant sites across the city. In fact, even... We're launching a life group in Toti. I I mean, it is amazing. People drive here from Toti. So if you're from Toti, we would love to get you into a life group. We're even uh, launching a group in the Bluff this next week. Um, So I know that I insult you every time I preach, if you're from the Bluff, I just want to know, you to know that that is your love language. It is why I speak it so well, and that's why more and more people come from the Bluff. So if you want to be part of a life group in the Bluff, we got, we got that going. It's going to be amazing. And we've got life groups all over the show. But we started off the series, and we said, we, we have to be a people who enjoy God. If you don't enjoy God, you have no fuel you're driving around with an empty tank. Enjoying God in the good times in life is what makes you have better times in life. Enjoying God in the worst times of your life is what makes you get through those times of, of, of your life. Enjoying God, it's, it's worship. It's, um, it's our response. It's our natural response to who God is. You've you got to enjoy Him. It can't be forced, guilt. I have to go to church. It's got to be enjoying. And, and so much of the life of this church and so much of why we want to plant sites is we want to teach people to enjoy God again. And then, um, so we start off with that. And then my wife ripped me apart for, for way too many minutes. And we, she spoke about releasing potential and aired my dirty laundry. And, and, uh, and we, we preached, she preached about from this, this prophetic word, life and color. She said that there are God colors. And when you see those God colors, when they're revealed to you, they literally get into you and then shine out. So don't put a basket over the God colors of your life. Go and shine. Because when you shine, the world sees potential released. It's what what you're called to do. And then last week, Sia spoke about loving people. You know, if I was to talk about one of these values that I have grown most on in the last season, COVID has blessed me enormously. Is I feel like in COVID I learned how to love people. COVID may have broken lots of things, but man, it teaches you what matters. And uh Socia spoke about the more you can receive the love of God, the more you can give love. And loving people is our third value. And then today I'm gonna to speak about impacting community. But to let you know how much of a value this is for me, I, I'm, I need to tell you a little bit about me and a little bit about my story, and then I'll really get into the Scripture. But in about 2007, I hit a disillusioned moment. And the reason I had a disillusioned moment is because I, I got to the place of going, why isn't the church transforming the world? The church is reaching people, but it's not transforming the city we're in. And I got so frustrated and disillusioned that I did what pastors do and, and I went on a sabbatical. And I took some engineering money and I bought one of those round-the-world tickets. Imagine how much, uh, how much time you'd spend in, in vaccination centers if you had to do it now. But anyway, I, I, took, I took a round-the-world ticket and, uh, and I, I had one question. And you've got to understand why this question is so big for me is because when I got saved, I was left ugly crying at the back of the church between two grannies. But, but when I got saved, the first question I asked after I got saved was, what for? I know that's not normal. I know nobody else asked that question, but I asked the question, what for? And then I walked outside of the church building, looked back at it, and I went, what for? And that took me on a journey to start to study church history and begin to understand how the church changed the world. And I began to look at things like, like children, how, how the church was the thing that transformed the value of children. You know, back in the Roman era when Jesus was around during that time, infanticide, which is basically the killing of children, was, it was so rife that mothers would take their babies and they'd leave them in sewers and they would die. It was, it was just what happened, because when you have a value system or teaching or belief that people don't matter until they hit a certain age, because that's what they believed, that kids only mattered when they hit about 12, which in some ways, no, I'm joking, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> the reason they believed that is because until they were 12, they couldn't help them. So so they would only name them. They would adopt them when they were 12. This is Roman thinking. And Jesus comes along and he says, let the little ones come to me. And through that teaching and valuing of little children, he says that unless you have faith like a child, you can't enter into the kingdom of God. When, When he's teaching this stuff, it's getting into the disciples and they start teaching the world how to value children. It changes the world. Or think about things like literacy. In the early church, they started teaching women, this is unheard of, to read. They they taught everyone to read. In fact, out of the early church came orphanages for babies, came universities and schools for, for women and children. They transformed how the world saw people. The early church launched hospitals. The early church it started to do things that were unheard of in the ancient world. And through the early church, within 300 years, the entire value system of the world had changed. Culture had shifted because the early church. So there I am, I'm sitting in church, frustrated. Because I'm going, people are getting saved, but nothing's changing. And I'm so disillusioned, I go on this sabbatical and I have one question. God Working in church isn't working, so what do you want me to do with the rest of my life because I want to impact the world? I know it sounded arrogant, but you've got to understand that this, that burning in the side of every single person's heart is both a knowledge that you were not made as an accident and that you were made to do something. And that thing burns inside of me so much that I went, God, you have to answer this question. And so I go to Peru, beautiful country. Within 150 kilometers, you go from rainforest to glaciers and desert, and then down to the sea. It's, a, it's an unbelievable country. But I get there, and I'm staying in a hostel. And in this hostel is this white-haired older gentleman. And um, I start having... Oh, I'm freezing. Can we turn the air I've got icicles in my hair. Uh, this older gentleman... And I start chatting to this older gentleman, and I say, what do you do? And he says, I work for Interpol. Now, as soon as someone tells you they work for Interpol, you feel like James Bond. I don't know how that happens, but that's what happens. And so I go out, and I have a coffee, and I I remember the chocolate piece, a massive piece of chocolate cake, and I'm eating this chocolate cake, and I'm asking him what he does. He says, no, I work with um, monitoring and trying to stop the sex trade. And then he starts telling me about the sex trade. And the more and more he's telling me, the more and more angry I'm getting because he talks about how girls are stolen. And and I mean, it was a rate of like every few seconds another girl's stolen. Then they're raped and their spirits are broken. And and then they start to get used. And he's telling me this. And I'm already frustrated before I even start. And he keeps talking. And I start to feel my heart getting angrier and angrier and angrier. And so I, I thank him for his time, and, and I start walking there. In Lima, there are these cliffs that go down to the beach, and I'm walking down the cliffs, and I can remember it because it was so crystal clear. It was, it was like it happened yesterday. I said, God, what do you want me to do because I can't just do nothing in this world? And I felt so crystal clear. I felt like God said to me, you build my church, and I will raise up people to fight these fights. When I talk about church, I'm trying to build a church where God raises people up to fight these fights because they are fights that irk the life out of you and you need to fight them. My fight is building the church, your fight is something else. You need to fight it. Now, I know that I'm preaching this to people who are recovering from COVID. Some of you are recovering from losing loved ones, some of you are recovering from Businesses that have collapsed. Some of you are recovering from just social turmoil. Some of you are recovering from mental health issues. I'm recovering from COVID right now. I got it last, whatever, 12 days ago. I'm recovering. So I understand. The last thing I want to be told right now is to go and do something. But I'm going to tell you to go and do something. And I'm going to give you some principles to living an impacting community life too many principles, all four of them, and one of these principles is going to speak to you, which is why, for the first time ever, for some of you, I want you to take out your phone and actually make notes, because it might shift you completely, I'm going to read from um, from the story of the loaves and the fishes, five loaves, two fish, and uh, I, I began preaching on this in, for life groups, and then, I started to realize, man, I haven't even touched the surface. So I, I thought, no, no, let's, let's go a little deeper. And this story, is, it's a beautiful story. But what we learn from this story, and I'm going to read from John, is we learn from each of the gospels something different that leads up to the story. If you read from Matthew, you realize that Jesus and the disciples have been doing so much ministry that they're exhausted. And if you read from Mark, you, you find out that just before this, Jesus sent out all the disciples in twos and they've gone and they've ministered and they've cast out demons and they healed the sick and they preached the kingdom. And they come back and they're on a high, but they're exhausted. And then if, if you read in Luke, what you start to understand is that Jesus has just lost his cousin who's been beheaded and Jesus is grieving. They're recovering. They're exhausted. Jesus' heart is sore. Disciples are on a high. You know what happens after a high? They're vulnerable. And it says this in John chapter 6. It says, sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish... Oh, yeah. The Jewish. the Jewish Passover festival was near. Now, it's important that you know this because when the Jewish Passover, <laughs> I'm going to get Passover right sometime. When the Jewish Passover happened, what would happen is about 150,000 people would come from surrounding areas into Jerusalem. It was basically like a varsity town. You know, like, you know, roads in the south. Rhodes, when you go there and, and it's holiday time, there are like 10 people in the whole town. And then you go back when, there's hol- when the holidays are over and you just see, yo, what just happened? This thing's exploding. That's kind of what Jerusalem is like, which means that people are coming through Galilee from the north to Jerusalem. There are hundreds of thousands of people coming, which is why there were 5,000 people who are coming out to see Jesus. There are 5,000 men with women and children. It's probably like 15,000 people. And it says, when Jesus looked up and saw the great crowd coming towards him, He thought to himself, oh no, no, it doesn't say that. It says, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? "'Jesus said, "'Have the people sit down. "'There was plenty of grass in that place, "'and they sat down, about 5,000 men were there. "'Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, "'and distributed to those who were seated "'as much as they wanted. "'He did the same with the fish. "'When they had had enough to eat, "'he said to his disciples, "'Gather the pieces that are left over. "'Let nothing be wasted.' "'So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets "'with the pieces of the five barley loaves "'left over by those who had eaten.' After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain to pray by himself. There's so much that I love about this story. I love sneaky Jesus. You know sneaky Jesus who goes, Hey, Phil, you see the crowd? How are we going to feed these oaks? I mean, sneaky Jesus. Sneaky Jesus. Do you know how much fun he must have had? Like, imagine, they're these big things of cottons, of clay, clay jars that carry 80 liters each. And he says to the ox, because there's no more wine, he goes, fill those up with water. You know what they're thinking? Are you nuts? Do you know how long it'll take us to fill up these things with water? You know what Jesus is thinking? Oh, this is going to be cool. <laughs> you think he, he goes to a funeral. Everybody's Everybody's mourning. He goes, don't, don't worry, she's not dead, she's asleep. No, she was dead. He's just having a jaw. He's just, nah, she's asleep, watch this? This is Jesus. He's just, he knows what's going to happen, so he speaks about it as though it's already happened. It's beautiful. But he tells everybody to sit down, 50s and 100s, 15,000 people. How many of you got children? How long does it take to get your children into a car to go to church? 15,000 people. Like, there was one kid there. No, no, Johnny, there are 49 there. There are 51 there. No, Johnny, go there. Go there. Do you know how long this would have taken? But Jesus says, no, go sort that out. And whilst they're sorting that out for hours, because the thing about a miracle is a miracle takes a moment, but the process leading up to the miracle generally takes hours of praying and not seeing and asking God, and when is it going to happen? And, Lord, I'm still single. And, uh, you know, some of your hours have been the 11th hour for a long time. It's just hours and hours and hours. Whilst hours are happening, Jesus is taking a kid's lunch. That's what's going on in the story. And what I love about this story is, obviously the most critical person in the story is Jesus, but then the next most critical person in the story is the boy, But the boy doesn't get a name. He doesn't even get counted. Like, he's a nobody. I just want to stay here for a little bit. Because I wonder how many people feel like they can't make any impact. Because nobody really knows your name. And even if they do, they won't count you. And the feeling you feel is insignificance, because you are not enough. You're not holy enough. You don't know the word enough. You're not magnetic enough, good-looking enough, rich enough. You're not enough. And so you take your not enough and you hide it under a basket so that you can eat for you. You see... The nameless, not counted, little boy, he's the key to this miracle. And what's incredible about this boy is he takes his not enough. Because their, their voices, they speak to us the whole time. There's the voice of reason. Dude, five loaves, two fish, not enough. There's the remember, the voice of remember. Remember the last time you tried to help? Remember how that helped? That homeless oak you tried to help? He stole everything. That was good for you. You you got the voice of remember? You got the voice of comparison? If I could sing like Justy, if I could preach like Sia, if I could... These voices are going flying through our minds the whole time, and most people don't step into a life of impact because they listen to the voices of reason, the voices of comparison, the voices of remember, and they go... I am not enough, but this boy, this boy takes his not enough, and I I keep asking myself, why did he take his not enough to Jesus? What was the thing inside of him? And, And I keep coming back to the same thing. The thing that makes incredible generosity happen, because this is incredible generosity. When you know that what you have is not enough, but it's enough for you, It's not going to solve the problem, but it's enough for you. It is generous to give it away. I realize generosity has a twin. It's called gratitude. You don't get generous people who are not grateful people. This little kid, he's grateful. And notice this. If he hadn't taken it to Jesus... There would be no miracle of the loaves and the fish. He had to, and here's the first note you want to take. He had to recognize what was in his hand. This principle operates throughout the whole Bible. Jesus always says, God always says, what's in your hand? What have you got? And if you do not recognize what he has given you, he cannot multiply, he will not multiply. You have to recognize, and if you're going to recognize, you need to recognize it with thanksgiving. Yes, Lord, I know it's not enough. It is not my husband-to-be, but, Lord, you've given me a friend. Thank you for my friend. This is how we live. Yes, Lord, I know it's not enough to pay the rent, but you've given me enough for food for today. Thank you, Lord. Jesus requires of you that you recognize what he has given you because he only multiplies what you recognize. Then here's what he does. He takes what you, next word, release. Some of you need to recognize, some of you need to release. He takes what you release, and you know what he does with it? He breaks it. You know what he does when you say, Lord, I'm yours. Whatever you want, Lord, I give it to you. Uh, How many of you prayed that that prayer? Lord, I'm yours. Here you go. You know what he does? He breaks it. Because it's only when he breaks it that he can multiply it. It's in the breaking that he multiplies you, that he can start to use you. The thing about you and me is that if he doesn't break us, it still remains about us. Yeah. It, it's why he has to keep breaking, because, because we're so self-reliant, self-composed. We, we, everything is about self, and he needs to break the self. But when he breaks it, and for many of you, you are being broken right now. You're experiencing loss and pain. You, you're in a breaking. But here's the thing. If Jesus is breaking you, it is a good thing. Because if he's breaking, breaking you, he will multiply you. And the thing about the world, if man breaks stuff, it never works the same again. If God breaks stuff, if he breaks a bone, it gets twice as strong. When God breaks things, he makes them better. And then here's the kicker. The boy still got his meal back. It's just it didn't look the same because it had gone through Jesus' hands. It was broken and given back to him with Jesus' fingerprint on it. Friends, some of you, you have to give yourself back to God to break. Now, I've got through two points, two more to go. You're going to make this. He recognizes with thanksgiving, he releases to be broken. And then what's fascinating about this, because if I was Jesus, I'm grieving, I'm exhausted, I've just performed a cracker of a miracle. I would go home, put my feet up on the couch, I'd go, woohoo, DSTV, (laughs) Netflix, I would go and chill. But Jesus doesn't go and chill. Jesus goes and prays. He, he takes the 12 leftovers. He says, off you guys go. Off you go on a boat. And then off he goes and he prays. And it gets dark and he prays. It gets cold and he prays. And at 12, somewhere between 12 p.m. and, and 3, 3 a.m. I don't know, 12 something and 3 a.m. He, he then stops praying. Now, here's why this is so critical. Most of us, we are living in a space where we feel like the demand outside is greater than the supply inside. Anyone? The reason you are scared to open up your homes or open a, start a life group or begin an alpha or begin to reach out to someone or serve in a social justice thing is because supply is less than demand. Agreed? Okay, so we're living in a world right now that needs Christians more than it's ever needed Christians before. There's probably more opportunity to lead people to Christ right now because there's so much brokenness out there than there has ever been. And we have a church, not just this church, every church with people going, ah. (laughs) Supply inside greater than demand, I mean lesser than demand outside. That's how we're living. And so what we do is we take what little supply we have and we keep it for us. I need those five loaves and two fish to eat. And I eat it. And when my emotions are exhausted, I do things that make me feel good. And when I'm physically tired, I go and sleep. And I try to refill my tank with natural resources. Instead of what Jesus does is He goes and He refills His tank with unlimited spiritual resources. And the reason he has to do that is is he has to repair, and he has to prepare. Because what's just happened, this is why this is the most incredible miracle, what's just happened is that 15,000 or 20,000 people have just gone from this miracle with a miracle in their belly, and they have gone out to every village and town around, and you know what they've said? Man, you'll never believe what happened in church today. We went there, no food, you That oak is like a KFC. It is unbelievable. (laughs) I don't know if you saw this. There was a video released by Priscilla Shira. She tells this story. In the 1940s, there's a a lecturer, uh, Professor Orr, O-R, it's an unfortunate surname, but uh, he he took a, a community of his students and he took them to John Wesley's house. Now, if you're not a church person, John Wesley was like a revivalist. He he, Where he went, millions of people gave their lives to Jesus. So they go to John Wesley's house. And um, he's taking them through, and he takes them through the kitchen. And they look at how John Wesley lived. And takes them through the lounge and talk, talks about who was in the home. And he takes them to the library, and the students are fascinated. What did John Wesley read? And then he takes them up into... John Wesley's bedroom. And when he gets to John Wesley's bedroom, they're they're kind of looking around and they notice that in the carpet right next to his bed are two holes, indents from his knees in the ground. He's been praying. Day after day, month after month, year after year, they're indents in the carpet. And they keep going, goes down, and, and he takes. He takes all the kids right through the rest of the house and he talks about where John Wesley took communion and, and he takes them through the rest of the tour and they get on the bus and he counts the students and, and he finds one short. So he thinks, okay, just hang on, guys. And he goes back up and he looks in the lounge. There's no one there. He looks in the library. He thinks there must be in the library, not in the library. And then he goes to the kitchen, no one in the kitchen. So he climbs up the stairs and he walks into the bedroom And he sees the young man praying, Lord, do it again. Lord, do it again. And he taps Billy Graham on the shoulder and he says, come my boy, we need to go. Friends, we've forgotten prayer. Prayer, I was praying last night, feeling exhausted from the stupid COVID thing, and I started to feel like this power. It's not like sleep. Sleep, yes, it helps. Mm-hmm. You know, eating, I've eaten all the chocolate in my house. Yes, it helps. <laughs> but prayer, friends, because we've lost the art of prayer, what happens is we don't have the energy to open up. And so we're not doing the first thing. We're not recognizing and we're not releasing because we're not recovering with prayer. Now, these things flow from one to another, but one of them is speaking to you. And if prayer is speaking to you, you need to fast and pray. You need to just go, right, I am going to give that day and I am going to pray. And don't pray the lame prayers of God, make me good enough to use. Because the boy wasn't good enough to use. He didn't have enough to use. He wasn't even counted enough to use. Pray prayers like, God, do it again. God, use me powerfully. God, give me a vision for the city. You see, the thing about this series, Life in Color, is that it's to open up your eyes in color, to imagine what God would want to do through you. It's to shift your gaze from protect to give. Okay, uh, one more point, and then we're done. If none of those three spoke to you, maybe this one will. The story, it it, it doesn't end there. In Mark 6, 47, it says, Late that night, the disciples were in their boat in the middle of the lake, and Jesus was alone on the land. He saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and waves. And about three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. He intended to go past them. We're gonna come back there. But when they saw him walking on the water, they cried out in terror, thinking he was a ghost. They were all terrified when they saw him, but Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I'm here. Then he climbed in the boat, and the wind stopped. They were totally amazed. Now listen to this. For they still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. They didn't get the purpose. They hadn't understood it. Their hearts were too hard to take it in. No, I, I absolutely love this. Jesus is praying, sees the oak struggling. Ah, let's pray for another hour. Still struggling? Oh, praying. Keeps praying. Then somewhere between twelve and three a.m., he comes strolling along in the water. How's it? <laughs> I want you to notice something. If they hadn't called, Jesus wouldn't have gone. The God of love requires you to exercise your faith. And the second thing I want you to notice is that because their hearts were hardened, because they didn't understand the miracle of the loaves, they didn't recognize Jesus. Let me explain. The miracle of the loaves was there not just to put food in people's bellies. It was there to teach people something about Jesus. And here's what was there to teach about Jesus. Jesus is above nature. He is God over nature. He is God who is more than enough. When you don't have enough wine, more than enough. When you don't have enough life, more than enough. When you don't have enough bread, more than enough. He is the God who exists above nature. They didn't understand that. They didn't think about the miracle hard enough to be able to recognize the miracle worker when he came walking along the water. This is really, really important. Because who's been saved for more than 20 years? Stick me in. You seen any miracles? Lots. If you don't let the miracle sink in deep and change how you see Jesus in your life, then what generally happens is you hit a storm and he comes walking by and you think he's a ghost. Friends, this is so, so critical especially to those of you who've been in the faith for a long time, because I see people, they're on fire for Jesus. They love Him with all their hearts. Life happens, they take knocks, they get drier, they get drier, they get stale, they, get, they come to church. but And the reason is the miracle that happened there hasn't become a revelation of who God is here and what you've got to do is you've got to look back on your life and go, God, you provided a motorbike for me there. That got stolen and you gave me another motorbike. Then you gave me a car, that got stolen, and then you gave me another car. Somewhere down the line, I've got to start going. This is not just miracle to miracle. This is provider. And that has to change how I think about life when my next thing gets stolen. Because we're in South Africa. This is important. Yeah. <laughs> it's got to shift you. Mm-hmm. When, when I look at the loss emotionally that I've experienced in life, and then I look at how he filled me up again, and then how he started to rebuild me, and then I experienced loss again, And then he filled me up and he started to rebuild me. Uh, Somewhere down the line, I've got to go, you're not just the one who fills me up and rebuilds me. You are my comforter and counselor. It it has to change how you think. And if it doesn't change how you think, all you do is you go from one crisis to the next to the next instead of one faith moment to the next to the next until you get to the place where, like Peter, you can step out onto the water. This is what God wants for His people. He wants you to be an impacting community type of people, but you only get there if you recognize, you release, you recover in prayer, And you're able to reframe whatever God has done in your life. Recognize, release, recover, reframe. Make that something you just keep doing in your life. You will find you can't help but impact community. Recognize, release, recover, reframe. I want to end the service a little differently because i got a feeling one of those words has hit you. And one of those words is is saying, you need to do something about me, this word. And so I'm going to have people in the front praying. And uh, if you need to stand in a line and wait, just think about the oaks sitting in 50s and 100s. You'll be okay. But I want you to come for prayer. And make a commitment, God, okay, I don't want to live self-protecting for the rest of my life. I'm grieving today, but I want you to change me for tomorrow. And let God begin to shake you up again so that we can be the church that fights those fights. So I'm going to wrap this up with a prayer. And my prayer team is going to be here. And if you want to add to that prayer team, you're welcome to come. But Jesus, I pray life over people. I pray, God, that you shake them from the inner man, Lord, Lord, that you strengthen them in the inner man out of your glorious riches so that they will impact this world in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. May you be blessed.